Welcome to Her Next Play's Power Chat Podcast, hosted by Sarah Wegman and Audra Emerson. At Her Next Play, our mission is to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. Sports build powerful leadership skills, and female athletes have enormous leadership and career potential. In our Power Chat Podcast, we talk to inspiring women leaders about sports, leadership, and careers. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Sarah Wegman, and I'm thrilled to welcome our guest today, Emily Stetz, to the Her Next Play Power Chat Podcast. Emily is a program associate at the Aspen Institute's Sports and Society Program, where she manages work group activations for Project Play 2020, a national initiative focused on growing sport participation among youth. A manager, mentor, idea generator, and a lifelong athlete, Emily's work seeks to improve youth and community health outcomes. Emily, thank you for being on the podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today. So you obviously played sports growing up. You ran track at St. Olaf, and now you work in a really cool job at the Aspen Institute Sport and Society Program. Can you just take a minute and describe the role that sports has played in your life and your career? Yes, and as I look back, it's become so much clearer how sports has really been a, a thread throughout my life. But I would say when I started playing when I was younger, all of my siblings were in sports. We all played sports in every season, plus in the summer. And I think we just saw it as a way to be active and also as a way to be well-rounded. And it was in addition to academics, to community service, to being part of our families and our communities. And it wasn't until I started to get out in the workplace that I still really enjoyed being active and was also involved in public health and positive youth development. And as I came to DC, I really started to see and get exposed to places where being an athlete was a huge advantage, not just in terms of some of the life skills that you learn of perseverance and teamwork and determination, but also that there were people working professionally at the intersection of sport and youth development. And that's exactly what the Sports and Society program at the Aspen Institute is focused on, is that intersection of saying sports is an incredible way to keep kids physically active, but also to expose them to these environments where they can be supported by caring adults, learn these different life skills, and and grow to thrive in life. And once I found that that was an intersection, it was really, it was exciting and, and something that I wanted to be part of and I wanted to continue with. So it, it was a little more circuitous than that, but as I look back, it's been the thread the whole time and has really led me to where I am right now. It's fantastic. It seems like such a coherent story when you look back in terms of how you ended up where you are. So one of the things that we find at Her Next Play as we're working with athletes is sometimes that transition from college to career is tough. Um, I think for a lot of young people, but particularly um, for athletes, because often they lose their team and um, a big part of their identity. Can you talk a little bit about how that transition from college to career went for you? Yes, and I will say one thing that I've, I've really appreciated as I look back on my athletic career is that my parents were very supportive of us, of course, in all kinds of athletics, and they also helped us keep in perspective that 
that wasn't our identity, which right. was often a very difficult conversation, you know, say when we were faced with an injury, um, I had multiple injuries where all of a sudden you're not able to play and you don't feel like yourself and you don't feel like you're, you're able to live out that part of you. And I think that the way that our parents worked with us and all of our kids was saying, this is disappointing, but you have so many other things to offer. You know, this will give you an opportunity to focus on something else, to either be a teammate, be supportive, and also, you know, say, focus on, continue to focus on your schoolwork and things like that. And so to me, that was a really important perspective. And that's what I appreciated also about being at a college that had D3 athletics, because once again, I really felt like there was an emphasis on being well-rounded and sports were important, but they were not the end-all be-all. It's really interesting as even just having this conversation today, but I have had this conversation with numerous D1 athlete parents that now really recommend that their own children play D3 athletics. Now, if you are a superstar athlete, D1 is an amazing experience, but I think to your point, there really is a lot of value in that D3 athletic experience, which I also had um, in terms of being able to develop and continue to play and learn all those great leadership skills through athletics, but also to have the room and space in the peers that are also focused on career, academics, and just all different parts of life. So it's interesting to hear that you had that experience too. Definitely. And that's something that I, I really wish will continue to be talked about at the, the college level and I think is, is part of conversations that coaches can have with their athletes, but also that athletes can start to say and set some boundaries or some expectations and say, here's what's important to me and here's how I want my experience to go. So I didn't mean to cut you off, but to kind of go back to the question, um, how was that transition for you? And then how did you end up at the Aspen Institute? So the transition for me, I think was, and it's funny, as you were saying, it looks like my life makes so much sense as I look back on right. what all of that looked like. But I think for, for a lot of people, it's, it's confusing and it is very different, especially for athletes and for me, you go from, you know, competing regularly in athletics for 14, 15 to 16 years of your life. And all of a sudden now you get out and at 3.30, you're not actually at practice. You are now at work. The days look different. Your community looks different. And I think, I think it can be tough. And for a lot of people, myself included, the first year, the second year, the first couple of years, it takes a while to figure out what is your routine where and how are you going to plug in? And I think looking back now, it was helpful to have other people who were going through that, whether if it was people I was connected with from college or some people in the new community that I was forming, just to say, it's okay to not know what's happening. It's okay to be figuring out what that routine is. And what I found was that continuing to stay physically active was still really important. That really helped to ground me. And so, no, I wasn't you know, going out and playing sports with a team consistently, but I was finding time to run a couple times a week. I was really enjoying the gym that I was part of, and that was helping me form a community. And so for me, it's not that you set up your life so that you are perfectly and seamlessly going to transition from college to the workplace, 
but you're going to have a perspective and say, here are the pieces in my life that I know are important in the same way that you would prepare to have a, a great season where you eat right, you get enough sleep, uh, you are ensuring that you're exercising and, and being social and staying connected. It's more about that kind of recipe and then trying to step as gracefully as possible into whatever being an adult looks like, but it's, it's not easy and that's okay. And it's actually normal. Yeah, I know. I think that's the theme that we continue to hear with or hear from athletes that we work with is that that transition can be really tough. And then, yeah, when years later, when you look back, um, I think you can put it into a great story, but I think it's good <laughs> for everyone to know that a lot of athletes are struggling with that. That's not unique. It's not supposed to be easy. And, and it can be one of those big transitions in life. So a lot of athletes want to stay in the game, want to stay near the game, want to be involved in sports from a career perspective. So I think a lot of athletes go into coaching or training or physical therapy. There's some of those big fields for athletes. I think what's really interesting about your career path and your current role as part of the Aspen Institute Sport and Society program is it's really unique and um, I think a very cool job. So I'd love for you to share just a little bit about your role and then also what does a typical day look like and, and what are you doing day to day? Yes, and of course with the caveat that what I do day to day in the pandemic looks slightly different than, than pre-pandemic, um, but similar in a lot of ways. And so, yes, what my role looks like right now is, funnily enough, very much a, a team player and not coach-esque, but it's a facilitator role that allows me to work and interact with a lot of different partners. So what I do is I manage our Project Play 2020 initiative, which is a cohort of 20 organizations that includes a lot of folks from the major league teams, from retail, from some on the academic side, government, um, and all these folks from across sector coming together and pooling their resources to figure out how can we help raise youth sport participation rates. So these big ideas and Aspen functioning as the convener to figure out how do we intake and synthesize all this information and put that into some work streams that will impact where we see gaps in the system. And what, I, what has gotten me into this role was my interest in youth development and collective impact. So this idea of in a community at a very grassroots level and even up to, to higher levels um, in the public and private sector of saying, there are multiple different sectors and groups that have different capabilities in a different space. And where I sit right now, I get to see what all of those different capabilities and opportunities are and figure out how we can all work together. And what's interesting to me now as I think about that is that is very much the role that I played on a team. And so I was never the, I was never the best player, the superstar uh, that went to other people and my younger sister who was fantastic. <laughs> but what I, what I was able to do, and especially in track, you know, I wasn't the, the ones who was ahead in all the workouts, but I was the pacer. And so I set the pace on, we're going to, here's how quickly we're going to run these intervals. You can be ahead of me, you can be behind me, but know that I am going to be consistent and you can use me to figure out where you're gonna go and how much faster you need to be going, for example. 
And that has really translated into a lot of the work that I do now, where it's being aware of other people, um, working and being in constant conversation with people about their goals and about what our initiative is trying to do and responding to some of the other things that are going to start intersecting our work, like the racial justice movements, like the COVID-19 pandemic, among so many other things. Great. Well, I know you just mentioned the George Floyd murders and the subsequent protests and racial justice movement. So you and I have a Minneapolis connection. So I feel like that really hit close to home for both of us. And it's been really inspiring for me to see athletes and I, and especially women athletes leading on social and racial justice issues and being major advocates. Are you surprised by the strong role that athletes have played? And what do you think about the role of sports in promoting social and racial justice, especially because you're able to really see it from a kind of global perspective and the place that you sit for your job? Right. I, I am of the same opinion as you that I am not at all surprised, A, that athletes are leading the way in a lot of these conversations, and let's be clear, have been leading the way for decades even, and always in a lot of ways using their platforms to talk about issues that matter. You know, everything from the power salute at the 1960 Olympics, uh, protesting against racial injustice in our country then, to people now um, using these their platforms to speak out against injustice that they see. So this is not new, but I think the attention that women athletes are getting for the role that they have continually played, I think it has been a long time coming and is incredible to see the leadership that they have displayed, particularly from folks in the WNBA, and from the NWSL. I've, I've been blown away watching the stories, especially of a couple of the folks um, who are in the WNBA that have either given up their seasons in the past or are now not continuing to play right now in order to fight for racial justice. So that's Minnesota Lynx player, Maya Moore. That's yep. Renee Montgomery from Atlanta Dream. That's you know the Washington Mystics guard, Natasha Cloud. And they're the ones that are stepping forward using this platform and it's getting more attention now and they've they've been they've been making noise in the past and i think you know also being from minneapolis we had this we had another shooting of philando castile a couple years ago right. where the minnesota lynx again responded to that and came out and used their platform and for a variety of systemic reasons um, People had some issues with that in conversations about how they were using their platform. And it seems like we have hit a turning point in this space where all of a sudden there is this flood of momentum and attention on a lot of these people that have been talking about this for a while. And so I think that athletics has been, there's always been this intersection of politics and sports and social injustice and justice that has been there the entire time. And I think that now we've just, we've reached this nexus where we are looking to our athletes to continue to tell us these stories of what is happening in our communities and what needs to, to change 
it's the role that they've always played, but the, the way that it's positioned in our, our country and in the COVID-19 pandemic right now, and with the, the uprising of social media and, and so many other pieces, I think, have combined to make it this really powerful moment that it is, and hopefully the turning point that, that we all hope it's going to be. Right. So interesting. A lot of the women athletes that you mentioned were the same ones on my mind in terms of those early advocates. And you're right. They have been fighting this fight for a long time. Why do you think women got there first in terms of, of, and then obviously there are some amazing male athletes too, but I just think it's really interesting that, you know, women were out kind of on front, out front on this before it became a bigger moment. Any thoughts on why, why they were such leaders? That's a, a great question that I've been thinking about a lot. And I think especially being in the, the sports space and especially looking at sports media and saying, you know, all right, only 4% of media coverage is dedicated to women's sports in the first place. And so folks are talking, they're saying things, but the coverage is absolutely part of that, of saying, what is everyone else getting exposed to? What are they hearing? And so I think in some ways with the, the rise and the dominance of certain women's sports, like the US women's national team right. winning the World Cup, all of a sudden we have this spotlight on these women who have a platform and you have Megan Rapino who took a knee back in 2017. Right. And now because of this, this period because everyone is realizing the dominance and the power that these athletes have, which has been there before. But once again, you've got the mainstream media now that is turning its focus. I think now the spotlight and the attention is a little bit more appropriately focused as it should be on some of these places. And I think that's also coupled with an amazing amount of leadership that you're seeing in women's pro sports as well. And so I think this comes from the coaches and the players in these leagues, but also I think the commissioners. So for example, Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner of the WNBA and Lisa Baird, the new commissioner of the National Women's Soccer League. These are very savvy women who have, who had careers prior to being commissioners. Um, Engelbert was the first female CEO of Deloitte. Lisa right. Baird had a long career at the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee and then at the NFL. They are coming in with an understanding of saying, we need to communicate the value proposition of women's sports to sponsors. And they're doing that. They're starting to succeed. And so I think it's now a combination of these athletes having the platform, having the the spotlight and the support from the media and also from some of their male athletes as well who are getting on board. It's that and it's their league leadership that is building the proper supports for them to be honored and listened to as they should be. Yeah, and that's a great segue into the next topic I wanted to talk about, which is I think women's sports was having a moment before COVID. There was a lot of momentum building for some of the reasons that you just mentioned. And I have to admit, I was worried during quarantine and during the spring, is 
is there going to be issues? Like, are we going to lose some of that momentum? What is the impact going to be? But I have to say, it's really felt like women's sports is getting that back and just seeing how successful the National Women's Soccer League Challenge Cup was and one of the first pro leagues coming back. The WNBA draft had a 123% increase in terms of viewers. And then just most recently last weekend, the season opening games of the WNBA had a 20% increase in terms of audience, which resulted in the network's deciding to televise more games, which is fantastic. I think the WNBA did an amazing marketing job sending out those orange WNBA hoodies out to all these key influencers and those sold out right away. So I think actually women's sports is continuing that momentum, which is fantastic. And then I have to say, I was so excited to hear about the new LA team, Angel City the National Women's Soccer League and just seeing all these celebrities, business entrepreneurs, everyone coming at owning a new team. Because I have often thought that, wow, if I had all the money in the world or even a lot of money, I mean, I think it's a great investment to own a women's sports team and that would be unbelievable. So hearing that Olympia Ohanan, the two-year-old of Desiree's daughter, is the youngest (laughs) owner in pro sports history. I mean, how awesome is that? Because her dad, you know, said, she's interested in soccer and I want her to have an opportunity to make some money playing pro soccer. And so he's going to make the right investments along (laughs) with Serena as well. So I just thought that was really, really cool. Any thoughts when you heard about, about that team coming out? Oh my gosh. Well, as as you could see, I'm very excited about that. And I personally kind of like Angel City. I know that the idea is that they're going to change it and that's a placeholder, but uh, I'm I'm a fan (laughs) in general. And I think I'm I'm so excited about that because as you were mentioning, and I think as we've discussed before, everyone was very concerned when the pandemic hit that this was just going to undercut all of the work and all of the energy and the momentum that is coming out of women's sports. And I think if anything, what this has proven is that instead women's sports are are rising and they're thriving. And as the NWSL is is showing, they're expanding as well with a, a team of investors that are majority women. And I think what, what gives me hope with all of these different teams and initiatives from, you know, the WNBA and the Say Her Name campaign and the the NWSL and their expansion is that people are are looking to sports not only as as an inspiration, but also they're they're looking at these athletes to to live out the values that we all believe in, to live out the values of racial equality, but also equity as well. And saying what is it that we want our world to look like? How how can we possibly dismantle some of these systems of racism and these racist policies? And they're attaching themselves and aligning themselves to brands and teams and people that exemplify that. And women's sports are doing that. And they're, they're finally getting that space in which to practice that. And I can only imagine that Angel City, when it comes out, you know, coming out of LA, that is just going to be an incredible mismatch of all of these different things that are coming out of women's sports and with that incredible ownership team. Um, I, I, I would watch them all day long. 
Right. Great. <laughs> it's so exciting. So I do want to turn to women working in the field of sports. There's still a long way to go in terms of equity, although I think it's been heartening to see the hiring that's going on in Major League Baseball and, and the NFL and other male professional sports leagues, but there still is a long way to go. And the recent article on the Washington football team and the sexual harassment that was endured by women in that organization. What do you think needs to happen so that we can continue to work towards gender equity in terms of women working in the sports field? Just a small question. Just right. I was going to say, this is such a multi-layered question. Um, and I think it, it takes a lot of different things and so, some of which we can conquer and, and, and can come into a reality sooner than others. I think one of the things that is, is really inspiring to see, of course, are the powerhouses of the folks who are leading the way, as you said, the, the women that are getting hired in male dominated sports. And I think also as the, the women's pro league sports are, are coming into more of the spotlight, being able to see how other coaches and general managers and even players can see a, a pathway to that. And so I, I do believe and align with, if you can't see it, you can't be it type of, of idea. And I think what, honestly, I think what it also takes is all of the, the determination and the scrappiness that that female athletes have. I mean, you've you've heard the stats about the number of C-suite executives that were athletes. And I think those are the people that said, that's where I want to be. No, I don't see anyone there who looks like me, whether that's gender or that's race or anything else like that. It's looking at that and saying, but that's where I want to be. And figuring out how to get into those rooms, how to use your network to, to get to those places. And once again, unfortunately, that is, that is not equal for all people. And as, uh, as, as women, we are disadvantaged in this space, but also people of color and LGBTQ and queer folks, they face additional significant barriers. And so I think in addition to women working in this field and working to support each other, there is also a very significant need and for a place and a space for women of color and queer and non-binary non folks in sport to also make an impact and also talk about where it is that they want to be and how they want to continue to make the sport better. And for me, I'm, I'm continually trying to be a, a significant ally and part of that comes from following some of these folks on social media and, and looking at when we have events and when we're talking about something in the, the field of sports, are we looking at all these different people? Are we understanding that there are some incredible women in leadership in the NFL and as general managers of some of these teams and in some of these corporate spaces? And it requires a little bit of extra legwork and an understanding of you're in this room, but who is, who is not there with you that either right. should be or should know what's happening in the room and figuring out how to share that power so that we can all walk through these doors that have been closed to us in the past. Right. The other day I was on a webinar around diversity and inclusion and I loved, they started talking about instead of, I think being an ally is great, but they use the term being an accomplice, which I really loved. And if ah. you started to think about in terms of, oh, right. How can I be an accomplice 
accomplice, like you said, and make sure that voices are heard and everyone gets invited into the room. Is there anyone kind of on that note um, that you are looking to or inspired by right now in the sports industry who is leading the way and working to advocate for equity? Oh, well, I have a list. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I literally so have a many list. people <laughs> <laughs> right, that are that are that are doing that. Um, I mean, I think just to to rattle off, a there's a couple athletes that I'm incredibly inspired by that are are spanning across different sports and different leagues. But um, so I think there there's athletes that are doing that, and there are of course other people in institutions that are working to do that. But I'm incredibly impressed by Coco Gauff, the U.S. tennis player who can't even vote yet, and right. who is coming out so strong for the Black Lives Matter movement and voter registration, talking about the importance of what this community investment and involvement looks like. I think that Allison Desir, who just got hired on by Wazelle as an athlete ambassador, who's a community activist and a marathoner, and has done a ton of work also in her community in Harlem, is also an incredible voice for institutional change. And I love that Wazelle is really intentionally bringing on folks of color, not to be performative, but to be very transparent about there are things within our organization and within the field of running that need to change, which is even more powerful now with, with the death and the killing of Ahmaud Arbery and then the, the start of the hashtag running while black and this understanding that running is still a very white sport and a, a sport for privileged people, how can they continue to make that change? I think I mentioned Natasha Cloud. I think she's incredible <laughs> with all of these things. And I think, you know, this is a little bit adjacent, but in addition to the racial justice and the COVID-19 pandemic, we've had the release of the Athlete A documentary by Maggie Nichols and this incredible wave of gymnasts who have been coming forward and talking about emotional and sexual abuse in the gymnastics community that is now reverberating and you're seeing this with gymnasts from the UK and right, the gymnasts I from Australia that. and I think the hashtag gymnast alliance is the one that's that's trending now of people who are coming forward and saying that this is something that is is happening and once again the the leaders that I see that are being successful and that I think are, are responding appropriately are the ones who are pointing to their athletes and saying, we support them and we listen to them. So this is Kathy Engelbert of the WNBA lifting up her players, you know, at the Atlanta Dream, for example, who are taking issue with one of the owners of the Atlanta Dream who has come out against the Black Lives Matter movement and Engelbert saying, we support this team. You know, we are listening to what they say. We are the leaders, but we are allowing the athletes to speak up and use that momentum and power to make change. Um, so I could add so many more people, but those are the most, the, the ones that I'm watching right now that I'm really excited to see what happens next and how they continue to move the conversation forward. Great. I know it's, it is amazing to just talk and learn about all the inspiring women and men who are accomplices that are working on this equity work. So I feel like we could talk for hours. <laughs> There's so many exciting yes. things going on in women's sports. And I also, if we had more time, would love to hear your perspective on youth sports coming back, but we'll have to save that for the next podcast. Thank you so much for being on, Emily. 
you have such a great perspective and just really appreciate you being a guest on the Power Chat podcast. It was a pleasure. I can't wait to see who else you get to have on here in the future. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Her Next Play Power Chat podcast. We hope you've been inspired to become part of our community and join us in our mission to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. You can help support us by heading to our website at www.hernextplay.org to join our Booster Club as a donor or a volunteer. And follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Her Next Play to learn more about our programs and upcoming events. We'll be back soon for the next Power Chat.